You're listening to a podcast of The River in Durant, Oklahoma. We hope that what you're about to hear will bless you and empower you to live the life that God has called you to live. We hope that it will strengthen you in faith and that it will help you better understand and better recognize who you are in Christ Jesus. We are walking through the Bible in a series called Route 66. And so far we have covered, I think, 10 mileposts. 10 mileposts. And we're starting at 1 Kings, milepost 11. 1 Kings, the 11th book of the, of the Bible. And in each of these books, I'm pointing out to you what I believe to be the most important verse in that book. I'm trying to give you an overview of the entire Bible this way. You understand? It's my job to teach you the Bible. I could teach you what I know, but that would only take about 15 minutes and my job would be over. <laughs> 10 minutes on a good day. But when I teach you the Bible... I'm teaching you life skills, life's lessons, life, giving you life's tools for, your, for the rest of your life. The Bible has the answers you need. The Bible has the answer to everything. Everything is in the Bible that you need. I believe this with all my heart. Now, not everything in the Bible do you need to apply. You don't need to apply everything in the Bible. You understand me? Because some of it is Old Testament that doesn't really apply. But we find all kinds of things in the Old Testament that do apply to us. Everything that is promises. The Bible does not say that you have to circumcise your children or to make blood sacrifices or any of that stuff that's in the book of Leviticus. But there are promises in there that are for us, to us, by virtue of them being to Jesus. If God made a promise to Jesus, He made that promise to you. If He made a promise to Abraham, He made that promise to you. Praise God. And so we've come, come to my post 11, 1 Kings chapter 18 and verse 21. 1 Kings 18, 21 says, now let me, let me give you a little clue here how to kind of know how to study the Bible. 1 Samuel is largely about Saul and David, Saul's kingly reign. 2 Samuel is about David's reign, okay? 1 Kings is about Elijah, mostly. And 2 Kings is about Elisha, mostly. that easy? All right. So we're going to talk about Elijah here. And Elijah came unto all the people... This is, a, this is what he said to them about on the Mount Carmel episode. Remember when fire fell from heaven? And said, how long halt ye between two opinions? How long do you stand there trying to decide if the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him not a word. It seems like there are people in this world today 
who don't know the power of a decision. There's power in a decision. It's very likely that your life has gone the direction it has based on decisions you have made. Thank you for your enthusiasm. It's still true. It's very likely that the decisions you have made in life have brought you to this point. There are exceptions here and there, but by and large, you make decisions that guide your own life. So following God is a decision. This is what Elijah, we learned from him. That following God is a decision. Nobody gets saved that doesn't want to be saved. Nobody gets healed that doesn't want to be healed. God does not respond to need. What does God respond to? Faith. I was uh, impressed by this story years ago. I've told it several times. I've told it here. Some of you heard this story. But if you have, just bear with me because there are always new people in the crowd that need to hear my stories again. Amen. Besides, I'm over 50 and I get to tell them over and over and over. <laughs> I'm over 60. I get to tell them over and over and over. A missionary friend of mine was in Mexico years ago. And he felt a bump. He was driving his car and he felt his car bump. And looked behind him and guys behind him had run into him. And he pulled over. And they pulled up right behind him with a bumper against his bumper. He thought, oh, I messed up. He got out and it was bad guys. They had pinned his car in between a telephone pole and their car where he couldn't get out. His name is Nick. He got out and these guys come running at him with knives and said, give us your money. Give us your money. In Spanish, of course. He said, oh, okay, okay, I'll give you my money. Your money or your life, you know. So he pulled out his money and gave it to them. He said, and the guy said, is that all of it? He said, that's all of it. So he, they turned around and started back toward the car and the Holy Ghost said to Nick, you didn't give him all your money. You got money in your shoe. The reason I have it in my shoe is so they wouldn't find it. But you told them you'd given them all of it. You need to give them all your money. Oh, Lord, are you sure? That's why I put it in my shoe. Yeah, but you told them you'd given them all of it. Hey, guys, wait just a minute. Wait, hey, wait a minute. I got more. They, they, they couldn't believe it. They came back over there toward him. He's pulling off his shoe and got down inside the toe of his shoe and pulled out money. And handed it to him. They snatched it out of his hand and threatened him again. You better be glad you told the truth, you know, something like that. And, and, and they w went off and got in their car. And as soon as they got in their car, the police came around the corner. The police came around the corner and jammed their car in between his car and theirs. Now, it's not in the United States. It's Mexico. And this was about 20 years ago. They jumped out of the car and took sticks and beat these guys to a pulp. Just beat them up really bad. And then they turned to Nick and said, and threw them in the car, put handcuffs on them and threw them in the cop car. And they said, did, 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 did they rob you? He said, yeah. And they looked in the back of that, the, the criminal's 
car seat and it was full of money. The back seat was full of money. They just took all that money and watered it all up and brought it over there and handed it to him, handed it to the missionary. He, he said, I had an armload of money. He said, this isn't all mine. They said, it is now. Get out and get in your car and leave. <laughs> I mean, you make decisions sometimes that you think this is the wrong decision. Turned out to be the right decision. Following God is a decision, and the decisions you make to follow God seem costly at first, but they always pay big yes, dividends. Amen. Amen. Seem costly at first, but it always pays off in the long run. God is on your side, and He wants to help you. To make no decision is to make a decision. Right. Some of you are saying, well, I'm just not going to vote in this next, next election. I don't like either one of them. Well, none of us like either one of them. But exercise your right. Pick one of them and vote. I'm not going to tell you which one to pick. But I'll tell you which one I'm going to pick. <laughs> Just ask me after church. I don't like people from Arkansas. <laughs> Story goes of a <laughs> of a farmer farmer who uh, hired a hand. He told the hand, he said, "I want you to paint the barn. It's going to take you three days." He put the hand to work. Went out at noon, and the barn was painted, all completed. He said, "What? This man alive? That's supposed to take you three days." The guy said, "I know how to work." Next day, he went out. He said. All right, I've got you. I want you to chop this wood, and it's going to take four or five days for you to finish all this wood chopping. He went out at noon. All the wood was chopped and stacked. He said, man, alive. Well, who are you? He said, I know how to work. Next day, he gave him a job. He said, I want you to go dig the potatoes and sort them. I want the good ones to go for sale. I want the medium ones to go to the house to eat. I want the others for seed. All right? He said, you ought to be able to do that in one morning. He went back that morning. And the guy had him hardly started. Had about two potatoes done. He said, this shouldn't take you very long at all. What's wrong with you? He said, I, can, I know how to work, but I don't know how to make decisions. <laughs> you learn how to make decisions. You teach people how, you use people who know how to work. People who know how to work will be working for you when you learn how to make decisions. Decision making is the art of being an executive. But in reality, you are God's executives in the earth. You are God's children in the earth. And the art of being an executive in the kingdom of heaven is simply being born again child of God. Amen. Amen. Let's, talk, let's stop at my post 12 now. First Kings chapter six, and verse 17. 1 Kings chapter 6 and verse 17. Make that 2 Kings. I'm saying 1 Kings, 2 Kings. We just finished 1 Kings. 2 Kings chapter 6 and verse 17. And Elisha. The other, the other verse said Elijah. This one says Elisha. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, 
I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. What had happened, the Syrian king had sent troops, had sent horses and chariots and armies into Israel to, t to, to take over, to, to really come and get Elisha. Because Elisha was telling the king of Israel where the Syrians were going to be all the time. And, and the king of, uh, king of Syria said, well, this guy must be something special. So he sent, they, they estimate, one estimates 100,000 soldiers after him. Because it filled the entire valley. It filled the entire valley coming after one man. Everybody say overkill. overkill. They were coming to get one man. 100,000 of them possibly. And Elisha says to him, Lord, open his eyes. What had happened was when they came, this servant says, my master, my master, what shall we do? Elisha says, don't be afraid. Doesn't it sound like God? Don't be afraid. When you're tempted to be afraid is the very time you need to hear God say, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. They that be with us are more than they that be with them, he said to him. This is the verses before this. And you can almost see the young man. He's counting 10,000, 20,000, 40,000, 60,000, 80,000, 100,000. And he turns to the prophet and goes, one, two. <laughs> I don't get what you're saying. And the prophet says the most powerful thing here. says, Lord, open his eyes. Now, his eyes are open, but not the right pair. Right. That means something powerful to you and me. Even in the old covenant, it was possible to have two pairs of eyes. You have another pair of eyes. Not talking about your glasses. I'm talking about you have another pair of eyes. You have a pair of eyes that makes you different from the animals. They don't have this pair of eyes. You have a pair of eyes that can see the things that God sees. You can see the things of God. As a man or a woman, boy or girl, you have the potential to look into the spirit realm. The problem is, most of us are just like this prophet's servant. We have our spiritual eyes closed. And operating on what we see. See, the absence of fear, the opposite of fear, I should say, is not necessarily fear. The opposite of fear Faith, I should say. I'm sorry. The opposite of faith is not necessarily fear. The opposite of faith is sight. Because sight lets fear in. Anybody ever see something that scared you? Huh? See something that scares you? It's seeing that causes you to be afraid. Fear is a product of being sighted. We use our sight to run. We use our sight to be alerted to danger. And it's oftentimes something to work against your faith. Let me tell you, you have two 
pairs of eyes. I remember a story of a scientist one time who was doing some research on eyesight. And he uh, took a pair of glasses that he had made himself and it turned the world upside down. He wore these glasses and everywhere he went he was looking at something, everything was upside down. That'd be a weird feeling, but he did it, he did it night and day for two solid weeks. And after about two weeks, his brain turned the image over. Turned the image over. You know, your eye really sees everything upside down. And your brain translates it, turns it right side up. Well, he wondered if he could make his, make his brain do it. And he put these glasses on, and it turned the world right side up after about two weeks, he said. He thought, wonder what will happen if I take them off now. So it took them off. Got up the next morning and the world was upside down without the glasses on. That only took a couple of days for it to turn back. It, it came back pretty quick because that was a normal thing. But it depends on how you look at things. If you see things in the natural only, always, never slow down enough to let God let you see into the spiritual world, to let God open your eyes, you're always going to live in a what-if situation, in a, in, a, in, a, in a fearful situation. Not long ago, I had a doctor tell me something that scared me. I didn't say I was scared, but I was scared by what he said. And I let him give me medicines, and those medicines made me worse. So I quit those medicines, and uh, he said, let me try something else. He gave me something else. It made me worse than worse. It wasn't working on what he said he thought I had. Finally, he scratched his head and said, sir, I don't know what you have. I don't know what you have. I just have to keep trying until I hit on something. I said, I'm not really wanting to do that. He said, <laughs> he said well, uh, come back in three months. He said, you've obviously improved, and if you have what I think you have, those kind of patients don't improve, but you've improved. I'm still improving. Amen. Using the Word of God and some nutrients, I'm getting well. Hallelujah. Can you tell? Yes. I'm getting bad again. <laughs> Amen. But you have to be able to look beyond your circumstances and see the truth because facts are dictated by what you see. The truth is dictated by what you believe. Amen. Glory to God. Hebrews 11 one says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Not seen. If you can see it, you don't need faith. Faith is the substance of what is not seen. Verse 10 of chapter 11 of Hebrews says, For he looked, talking about Abraham, he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. He was looking for something invisible. But he had his faith side out there. How did he do it? By faith. You see into the invisible realm by faith. With that other pair of eyes you have, you get them open by faith, by what you believe. Verse 13 of chapter 11 says, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off. Did they see them or not? They saw them afar off. They saw them in the Spirit and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. 
Miss Ann, years ago, had a vision of her daughter dedicating her baby boy. At that time, she was having difficulty becoming pregnant and had no children. Ann said, but Jennifer, I saw you with three kids. Jennifer didn't have any children at all. And Ann said, but I saw you with three kids. She said, we were standing on a platform, me and you and Derek and, and Eric, and you, you had a little blonde-headed girl and a little boy, and, I, and the third one I just saw a blue blanket. I didn't see the baby boy, but it was the boy because it had a blue blanket. You had three kids, a girl and two boys. She didn't have any kids at the time. But Ann said, I saw them. God showed me. Well, I don't know if y'all know, but my daughter has a girl, a blonde-headed girl, and two boys. Two boys. Two real boys. And the doctors were saying this can't happen. My daughter even at one point said it can't happen. After she'd had two kids, she said, I can't have the third. Boom! She had the third. Somebody saw it. And I'm saying if you can see it, you can have it. If you can see it in the Spirit, you can have it. You need to look beyond your sickness and see yourself healed. Am I right? Am I right, Rhonda? Come on, say amen. Amen. Look beyond your circumstances and see yourself blessed. Look beyond your poverty and see yourself prosperous and rich. Look beyond your fear and see yourself joyful and full of faith. Today is a day to start over. Today is a day to say, I've had enough of what ain't right. Pardon my French. What is not right, and I'm going to have what's mine from now on, because I'm going to get out of this fear-based life that operates in what I see. I'm going to open my eyes of faith and see into the realms of the Spirit. Roxanne Alexander saw me here before I got here. Saw me and Miss Ann here before I got here. She sent me a prophecy. Did I tell you all this? She sent me a prophecy. She said, Pastor John, I see you crossing a river. And then I see you in a river. I don't know how you're crossing a river and being in a river, but that's what I see. And there's great blessing and prosperity coming to you and, and the people that you're going to be with. I said, what? And y'all know how this church has grown since we've been here, how the Lord has blessed us. We had 240 people in church this last, last Easter. Now they're going to come, they're going to come again. They're just, they're just being rowdy. Playing at the lake all summer. She didn't know a thing. I said, what are you, did somebody told you something? She said, no. Why? I said, we're going into Oklahoma. She said, really? Yeah, crossing the river. The river. In my world, that's the river. And I said, we're going to a church called the river. She said, oh my. I said, are you surprised, prophetess? If you're surprised, I'll be fainting. 
It's amazing what you can receive from God if you just look into the Spirit. Use your faith and look into the Spirit realm. That's why God gives us prophets to remind us that we are spirit beings. You don't always need a prophet to guide you, but prophets are here to remind you of who you are. Look at my post 13. 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 1. I wish you would take the time sometime to read all 43 verses of this chapter. 1 Chronicles. Did I say Corinthians? 1 Chronicles. Sorry. 1 Chronicles 16, 1. David has recaptured the ark and brought it from Obed-Edom's house now to Jerusalem. And it says in verse 1 of 1 Chronicles 16, So they brought the ark of God and set it in the midst of the tent that David had pitched for it. And they offered burnt sacrifices and peace offerings before God. Now I stop you here at this milepost to have a look at the tabernacle of David. Unlike the temple that we looked at before and all the seven articles of furniture that were in the temple, there was just one piece of furniture in this, in this tent. It was the Ark of God. The, table, the Ark of the Covenant was in there. And it sat inside a big tent like this. If this was a tent, it just sat out in the middle. And they did sacrifices. The brazen altar outside. And all the people of God could come into that, to that one tent around the Ark of the Covenant. When it was in the tabernacle of Moses, nobody could approach the Ark of the Covenant. But for 40 years, they had a time when God demonstrated what it was going to be like when the tabernacle of David was full in force in the new covenant. That tabernacle of David is all about you. It's all about you. It was a time that God foreshadowed what he would do when he suspended the law for the sake of Gentiles coming in. Acts chapter 15 says so. Let's take our Bibles and turn there. Acts chapter 15. You all have heard me talk about this quite often. But it's so important to get in your theology. Acts chapter 15 verse 14 says. Acts chapter 15 and verse 14 says, Simeon, that is Simon Peter, hath declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. Now he's referring to Cornelius coming into the kingdom, coming into the family of God. And to this agree the words of the prophets as it is written. After this, he's quoting Amos 9.11. Amos 9.11 is the quote here. After this I will return and will rebuild again the tabernacle of David, which is fallen down. And I will build again the ruins thereof, and I will set it up, that the residue of men might seek after the Lord, and all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called, saith the Lord, who doeth all these things. He's talking about the Gentile church coming in without the works of the law. That's why Paul called this gospel 
the gospel of peace. The gospel of peace. I have some important things to say to you about all this. This gospel is not a gospel about you having peace of mind. That's not what is meant by the gospel of peace. The gospel of peace means this, that God reconciled himself unto the world, reconciled the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and has committed unto us this word of reconciliation, or reconciliation meaning peace now. When two opposing sides have reconciled, they are now at peace. God is at peace with man by virtue of the blood of Jesus. When Jesus said it is finished, he meant the law was finished and the, he had accomplished the reunion of God and Adam. Amen. Amen. God's no longer angry with anybody. You may think he is. I've heard people, I've invited people to church from time to time and, and say, you need to come to church. All the, 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 the roof would fall in on me. Why do you think the roof would fall in on you? Well, because I hadn't been in church in a long time, you know. And what he's trying to say is, God is mad at me. That's what most people, people really believe. Do you know that? They believe that God is mad at them. Ladies and gentlemen, if you don't know for sure yet, God is no longer angry with you. Yes. He loves you. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever would believe in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. He has one aim in mind, to get you to heaven. He wants you in heaven immeasurably, immeasurably more than you want to be there. How many of you want to go to heaven? How many of you want to live in eternity with God? He wants that immeasurably more than you want it. He's not trying to keep anybody out. He's trying to get all he can get in. I was raised under a remnant theology. Only a handful are going to make it. Just very few are going to make it. But I read the book of Revelation. I asked my pastor about it. He said, who are these multiplied billions of people in heaven? Who are these multiplied billions of people that John couldn't even number? He said, no man can number them. Who are they if it's just a remnant going to be saved? I need to straighten you out on something. Remnant theology is about Israel. Yes. It's just a few of them going to be saved. But there's going to be a whole bunch of us catfish eaters there. Praise God. Yeah. Us bacon eaters are going to be there in large numbers. Amen. And what do you get? How do you make up a... How do you make up a, 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 a great big crowd? I asked this on Wednesday night. How do you get a great big crowd? You get a bunch of individuals together. You cannot have a crowd without individuals. An individual is somebody. An individual is not a... John said he saw us there. He saw so, so large a number, nobody could number it. It had to be billions. Hear me. John saw us in heaven already. He did not see blank faces. He saw individuals there. I wonder who he saw. I'll tell you who he saw. He saw John Holler. He saw you there. He saw you there. Come on, tell somebody he saw you there. He saw you there. If he already saw you there, they can't rewrite that book if you lose your salvation. That's good. How are they going to rewrite that book if you lose your salvation? They can't. He already saw you there. That means you're there. Glory to be to God. You're there right now. 
That's good news. That's better news than you ever thought about. Peace, he said. God had a gospel for us of peace. Now listen, the peace offering was not about sin. The peace offering was one somebody brought just to say thank you. Just to say thank you. The peace offering a man would bring was not about his sins. That was the trespass offering and the sin offering. The peace offering was a man came in saying, thank you for this peace I have with you. Thank you for what you've done for me. It was a free will offering from his heart. And we have peace offerings to give in the new covenant. Let me show you what they are. Are you ready? Are you ready? Yeah. All right. You're ready for the blessing. You've got to be ready for the offering. Peace offerings are the only kind of offerings in the New Testament church. Peace offering is not about sin. We have the gospel of peace, so all our offerings are commemorating peace. This is good right here. All our offerings are commemorating peace. Your tabernacle of David offerings are these. Here they are. You ready? Remember he said that in the tabernacle of David... They brought peace offerings. That's, what, that's the verse we, we read. Read it again, Dylan. Would you read it? Really? Verse 1 of 16. So they brought the ark of God and set it in the midst of the tent that David had pitched for it. And they offered burnt sacrifices and peace offerings before God. Peace offerings. Peace offerings. We already have our burnt sacrifice in the body of Christ, Jesus himself. And now our peace offerings are these. Romans 12.1. Put it up on the board for me. Romans 12.1. Romans 12.1, your first peace offering to God. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. It has nothing to do with sin. You're not trying to get, pay, pay God anything. You're not trying to get God's favor. You're just saying thank you. And the first peace offering you give is a holy life. That you live holy. That means you, you rise above the temptations. And I'll tell you something, that's a sweet smelling sacrifice to God. When you feel tempted, anybody ever felt tempted in this church? Five of you. You're not doing anything for God or you'd be tempted more often. When you're busy for Jesus, you get tempted every day. Now, how many of you have been tempted? All right. You've been tempted, all of us have. When you turn from that temptation and don't perform it, that goes up to God like a sweet sacrifice. He smells your life. What you just sacrificed for Him. You said, thank you for my peace. Thank you for my peace. A holy life. The second thing is a love walk. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 2. Ephesians 5, 2. Look at this. Your second sacrifice you make, second offering you give. And walk in love as Christ also loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling savor. He's saying Christ's love was a peace offering. Your love is a peace offering. When you love somebody who's unlovable, the Bible doesn't say just love, love your love your family and love the people who love you. It says love your enemies. Yes, it it's a peace offering you give to God every time you love somebody who's unlovable. There are no unlovable people in this church. 
Not that I know of. Miss Ann, are there any unlovable people? Okay. But there are people outside this church that are unlovable. You know any of them? Let me see who knows some of them. Well, you need to go someplace other than Durant. They're, they're everywhere if you don't know any of them. That's why I preach in Texas so much. There's so many unlovable p p people down there. <laughs> Sorry, Brandon, just kidding. <laughs> Philippians 4, 18 to 19. And here's your third. Here are the three primary offerings we make, peace offerings we make in the tabernacle of David life, the Christian life. Holy living, a love walk, and financial gifts. Philippians 4, 18 and 19. Philippians 4, 18 says, But I have all, Paul says to the Philippians, and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. Now this sacrifice has a direct correlation to a, a blessing attached. Look at verse 19. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. This peace offering here, this financial gifts, has the attachment of God supplying all your needs. This is powerful. You can't make this kind of offering without God paying you back. You can't make this kind of offering without God paying you back. That's what the Bible teaches clearly. But it doesn't mean it's going to happen until you believe it. Yeah. It will not happen until you believe it. You attach your faith to these scriptures and to this Word of God. And watch what God will do. I'm going to try to do my, my post 14 for you today. What time is it? 11.30? I should quit, shouldn't I? No? All right, we'll move along. Second Chronicles 16 and verse 9. Second Chronicles 16 and verse 9, my post 14. It says this, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro. This is the most important verse, I believe, in Second Chronicles. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. I'm going to stop right there. He lays down an axiom for a king who had, done, who had mis, misjudged God and had done wrong, done foolishly. But he says, The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf. It didn't say, it didn't say to, to judge men of their sins. He's looking for somebody so he can show off to. Somebody he can show how strong he is. Show his power to you. And it says, whose heart is perfect before him. Now, in the Old Testament, that was almost impossible. And God wants to show himself strong for you and to you. And a perfect heart toward the Lord simply means God is looking for people. Listen to this. God is looking for people who have the right heart toward him. That's almost impossible. Except that you get born again. And your heart gets changed. When, my, when I got saved, everything changed for John Holler. I was no booger head. <laughs> looking for some place to go blow up, you know. But when Jesus came into my life, 
He changed everything. I've met a lot of great people in my life who impacted me, who, who, who affected me. But I got over it when I got away from them. But the thing about Jesus, I could never recover from his impact on my life. I just can't get over him. Every time I think I'm over him, here he comes roaring back again. I can never get over Jesus. Amen. The beauty of his person, the wonders of his, of his, of his intellect, the, the amazing kind of love that he shows to everybody who will receive him. When speaking of the heart toward God, he is talking about what a man, not, he's not talking about what a man thinks, but rather what a man believes. See, faith works in the heart. That's what he was looking for, somebody whose heart is perfect. That means he's looking for faith. He's always looking for faith. God's always looking for faith. That's how he wants to help you. I was thinking about years ago, I was in Junction, Texas with a, at a preacher's meeting. Now, preacher's meetings aren't always fun for me because I don't like what preachers say sometimes. I'd rather be with Bubba on the riverbank talking about God than some of these idiot preachers I've known. It's just my opinion. I could be wrong, but I ain't. <laughs> what they believe and what they tell their people sometimes is appalling. Appalling what they say. But I was at a preacher's meeting. It was going pretty good. And the women were in the living room talking. The guys were in there in the kitchen around the coffee, around the coffee pot. And I met this guy there who I'd never seen before. He told me he was pastor of a Bible church. I said, like Rama. Rama has Bible churches, but Dallas Theological Seminary in Dallas has Bible churches too. And they're high-toned Calvinists. They don't like people like me at all. And he told me he was, a, he was of the other kind. And I said, where'd you go to school? He said, DTS, Dallas Theological Seminary. He said, yep. Yeah. I said, can I ask you a question? He said, yeah. What are you doing here? Yeah. We all speak in tongues. I mean, what are you doing here? He said, well, Dean invited me. A guy named Dean Holford invited me. Well, he said, let me tell you my story. He said, see that woman in there? My wife. I said, yeah, I met her on the way in. He said, does she look sick to you? I said, no. He said, she's not sick. I said, well, that's good. He said, but she was sick. I said, she was. He said, real sick. He said, he told me the name of the, the disease. It's something about a mile long, you know. He said, it's really, really rare disease. And the doctor predicted that she would be in the wheelchair in six months. And in a year, probably be dead. Maybe, maybe a year and a half. That was all the time he gave her. She was degenerating at a rapid rate of speed. I said, what happened? He said, he said, does she look sick to you? I said, no, she doesn't look sick to me at all, sir. He said, uh, she works for a uh, publishing company in San Antonio. And a book came through there that she had to read over and over and over and publish and, and edit and for publishing. It was called Outcry in the Barrio. Anybody here ever heard of the book? 
You need to get Outcry in the Barrio and read it. It's about Freddie Garcia's trek out of the gang lifestyle to Jesus, what, what he saw God do. She uh, read that book over and over because she was editing it. And on the final day, when it was all done, she had that manuscript there. And she said they went through it and talked about all of it. And they're going to go to print now. And she said to him, before I turn this book over to you, I have to ask you something. She said just like this, on top of that book. Is all this true? He said, yes, ma'am. She said, all these miracles in here, this is all true? You've seen all this? He said, yes, ma'am, all of it. She said, the doctors have given me a year to live. If you know something about miracles... I want you to pray for me. Freddie Garcia leaned over that desk, laid his hands on that woman, and prayed for her to live. And for all her symptoms to go away. Amen. That preacher said, does she look sick to you? <laughs> I said, no. He said, that's why I'm here to answer your question. It's a long way to answer your question. But she got healed that day. And she's been healed ever since. She's been back to the doctor for many tests. No sign of the disease, the, the disease at all. He said, he said, she didn't look sick to me either because she's not sick. He said, that made me have to reassess everything I had been taught about no miracles today. Because I'm, I'm married to a walking miracle right there. Amen. God can do things bigger than you think. God is on your side. He doesn't care who told you he didn't work. He does work. He doesn't care if the devil told you he doesn't work. He does work. He'll work on your behalf. God shows himself strong when he finds a heart that has been perfected by faith. God's strength is immeasurable, so your potential is unlimited. I want to say that again. God's strength is immeasurable, so your potential is unlimited. I said God's strength is immeasurable, so your potential is unlimited. Glory to God. God can change anybody and anything at any moment. Let's bow our heads together. Father, we thank you for this, these truths that we ha had here today. I thank you for the power of your word. I thank you for the power of the word of God working in us right now. Working in the preacher and working in the pew. Thank you, Jesus, for your almighty power. Delivering people from fear. Delivering people from sicknesses and sins. Delivering people from every, every evil of the devil. And making us brand new. Thank you, Jesus, for your work. Thank you, Father, that you reconciled the world unto yourself. And gave us this message of reconciliation. This message of the gospel we call peace. So we offer our sacrifices of peace today. Our holy life. Our holy living. Our praises. Our offerings our love for one another. Thank you, Jesus. For these, the sacrifices of the tabernacle of David are all peace offerings that we make to you today in Jesus' name. Now, with your heads bowed, I want to ask you. If you're here today and you can't say that you, you're saved, that you know you're a Christian, you can know that today. You can know that you have eternal salvation. Not temporary salvation based on how you perform. That's not, we're not in the Old Testament anymore. We have, you can have salvation based on how Jesus performed. 
Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and He was buried. And He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. And if you will believe this simple message of faith, this simple gospel message, that means that you will be saved. You can be saved and transformed from the inside out.